<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is On The Mark, and it is the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference Finals. This is the best time of the year, and this is amazing. LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers down two games to none as we talk right now, Jake Valerius. And simple question as we start the show today, is it over uh, for LeBron and Cleveland as far as LeBron is concerned in Cleveland and this Cavaliers team? Because the Boston Celtics right now, I don't think anyone would argue, are very few. They look like the better basketball team. They look like the tougher basketball team. They look like the team that's more determined, all of it. And they withstand an incredible performance from LeBron last night. 42 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds, 5 of 11 from 3. And they win by 13. So uh, I, this all signs to me are pointing towards Boston. And I kind of got to that before Game 2, just digesting Game 1 and everyone on the Celtics roster who I have been underplaying. I'll let you talk in one second. I did not realize this Boston team was this capable, but uh, apparently they are because there's a lot of options for Brad Stevens to deploy, and he's doing it in a beautiful way. I said Cavs in six at the beginning of the series. I'm going to stick with that. Wow. I'm not confident at all, but wow. I think the 2-0 lead is a little bit deceptive just in the sense that we're still on home court, right? Cavs have not played at home yet. Been two games in Boston. The Cavs only need one win on the road and to win out at home, and they're good to go. Certainly, the balance has shifted. Um, I would say that the Celtics are the favorites to advance now, but if you're asking me personally whether I'm prepared to change my pick, the answer is no. So what gives you confidence in Cleveland? Not much. Uh, (laughs) Mostly LeBron James. I would say this, though. I don't think this sounds weird, and I'm not really that comfortable saying it, but I don't think LeBron was that good in game two. Wow. He had an absurdly good stat line, of course. Third time in the history of the playoffs that LeBron has gone 40, 12, triple double with 40 points. Right. He's right. the only player to ever do that. But according to Jake Valerius right now, he, eh, he was okay, <laughs> which I, I, I don't necessarily even disagree uh, with. Hear me out. Hear me out. Was, Obviously, you know. LeBron sets a higher standard right. than the average NBA player. This, this is the things I would highlight, though. First of all, after game one, everyone asked him, what was wrong with your performance? First thing he said was turnovers. He had seven turnovers in game one. He yeah. had six in game two. He did. He did not look after the ball as well as he would have liked. Mm-hmm. The other big thing for me was everyone going on, like you said, five for 11 from three. He made four of those in the first quarter. After that, there was a big drop-off. Second of all, possibly more importantly, I'm not sure we want the best version of LeBron as a version who takes 11 three-pointers a game. That usually means that he's having trouble getting inside, he's having trouble turning the corner, he's having trouble beating whoever is defending him and getting to the rim. Usually when LeBron has his full-on complete domination mode games, What he does is he drives to the basket early, he gets a lot of layups, and then as that opens space for him, he starts settling more for jump shots. And he did it sort of the other way around in this game. I still think, you know, he put up a ton of points, but I, you know, the Celtics really, really made him work. I don't, you know, LeBron is a great player. He's going to knock down a lot of shots, but he's not a great three-point shooter. He's just not. And he can do it every once in a while. He can do it game to game. But it's not necessarily a thing he wants to rely on. And so 
Having said all of that, as absurd as he was, I still think there's real room for improvement in, in game three going home to Cleveland. Okay, to back up your point, he did score 21 of the Cavs' 27 points in the fourth quarter, which means that he scored half of his 42 points in the first quarter. So he came out on fire, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, you know, Cleveland's got a lead, but I didn't think it was great for Cleveland. Here he is playing out of his mind or as basically as good as he could possibly play as far as scoring the basketball. And Boston's right there, and he's wearing himself down, and we got three quarters to go. So I, I actually liked Boston's position early. And to your point, too, and this is also has to do with his teammates and not just LeBron driving in and creating for everybody, but Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, George Hill, 11 points total, 5 for 17, and the Cavs can't win like that. They're, and LeBron getting these guys going, that's a lot to put on his shoulders. And unfair, too, that he's got to lift them all up by getting them wide-open shots, but that's how the, how the Cavs are going to win. He can't, he's not going to go out there and score 60 and beat a Boston team. That Surprising to me, again, they're scoring the basketball. Like, I thought Boston would be sitting there in the low 90s in the playoffs, but they're not. They're consistently scoring over 100 last night, 107, and they had 108 in game one. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Cavs' role players – I thought Tristan Thompson was good. I think he adds a level of just sort of energy and enthusiasm, right. especially on defense, that that team really lacks. They well, can sort of kind of mope their way through possessions at times. And Tristan Thompson, whatever else he is, he hustles. You know, he does a good job on the glass. And he just – he's always constantly kind of encouraging guys, always very positive. You know, he's the first to help his teammate off the floor. And for this – I don't always think that stuff matters, but for this particular Cavs team, I do think it makes a difference. I think he had – I think he was like minus five plus minus. I think that was the best on the Cavs roster of all the guys who played decent minutes. And – but the other two, J.R. and George Hill, Awful. killed him. Brutal. Yeah. Uh, and J.R. Smith, if he's not knocking down his shot, he's not really offering all that much. And every once in a while, you know, J.R. Smith's going to put up 25 points on, you know, five for eight shooting from three. But if he's not doing that, he can really, really drag the team down. And I would be shocked if he is that bad at home. I think he's going to improve. I think I like George Hill a lot, but he needs to have more than three points in 30 minutes. It's just not good enough. He needs to find a way to get more to the basket. I know it can be tough for him because he's naturally a ball handler and LeBron takes a lot of those responsibilities, but he needs to find a way to contribute. Otherwise, he, they're, they're struggling. He looks sick to me. Like every time they show him, he looks like he's in pain. His face looks just... Well, he, he was dealing with back spasms in, right, in the just, Indiana series. He missed a bunch of games. I don't, I personally don't share the he looks sick tape, uh, I, but I, whatever you want to call it it's not I, I don't think I've seen the guy smile in the entire playoffs and whether that's his demeanor or his back or whatever but I'm looking at him like can I get a little just give me a little just one moment give me uh, of enthusiasm of being in the situation but maybe that I'm sure that that really doesn't matter I I get it but it's there's something about George Hill's demeanor and combine his performance like that's just not I, what you I would want. say the other thing too when Kyle Korver went off in that second quarter on you know Jeff and Gandhi, Mark Green were talking about it. Mike Green, sorry, we're talking about it. And when Corver has hit double-digit points in the playoffs, the Cavs, I think, are six and zero. And when he hasn't, they're four and or two and four or something. Well, and he's a big difference maker. But again, sort of like LeBron, he scored all eleven of his points in a several-minute stretch in the second quarter, and he was over in the second half. He had nothing. And he had some good looks too. Yeah, and for him. So uh, he's a great shooter. I mean, I think he's yeah. after LeBron, arguably been the Cavs' best player through the playoffs from you know the Pacers series until now. But you know, it just goes to show with this Cavs team, it can't come in isolated moments. And they've really, you know, they've had some big swings in their games, and they can't seem to put something together over forty-eight minutes of a game. And to me, that says a lot about their lack of depth behind LeBron. It says a lot about possibly their age. You know, these are some old veteran players, and it's hard for them to be consistently useful over that time. Well, you mentioned the broadcast, and those guys, and Mark Jackson too, they were killing on the Cavs and their body language. And the, I mean, Van Gundy's comment, I think, was, I've seen more eye rolls tonight from the Cavs to each other than I see in a bad marriage. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I mean, he, they were, that team right now, when things go south, they are not together. Yeah. And you've seen that before with many teams and many LeBron teams where things start to go south and there's, there is just a pulling apart at the seams. 
And the Cavs, if things start poorly in Game 3, I'm not saying they will, but if they do, that could get pretty ugly real fast. And LeBron, like everybody's already got him out the door to Philly or wherever. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I actually thought the NBA draft lottery, which we're going to talk about down the line, was going to be fixed last night. So the Cavs would get a top three pick. So that didn't happen. But uh, there just seems to be – this team is not as tight as, as a Boston team, at, at, as this Boston team is at all. There's just – I don't know what's off with the chemistry, but it's off. Well, I know what's off, actually. When you rework the entire roster in the middle of the season, you can't expect them to be this really refined unit, and they're not. I mean, and, and I, a, I think it's over. I really it's a, do. It's a concern, but, I mean, if, if we're looking for reasons to be optimistic, I would say typically in the past when LeBron has sort of tanked on series and just thrown his hands up and said, I got no more to give. I, we, what do you want me to do? You know, I've got nothing left. He's done it against teams that are really good, better than his team. And I think while the Celtics, as you said earlier, I think the Celtics look like the better team. They're not the sort. They're not the Warriors. They're not a team we can say they have four All Stars. There's nothing I can do. They're a young team. They're a talented team. They're a deep team with a very good coach. But it's not definitive that they're better than this Cavs team. You know, there was a reason why the Cavs were favored at the beginning of the series. And so I think that will sort of keep him more honest throughout this series than he might otherwise have been. Against the Warriors, if this happened, I could see him just sort of, you know, getting his 40-point triple-double and then checking out. But against this team, I think he's going to do everything he can to drag it out. I could be wrong. Mm. I'll, be, I'll be disappointed if I'm wrong, but I think he's going to give a little more in this series than we've seen sometimes from him in the past. Well, they, look, they win game three. It changes the whole tenor of what everyone's talking right. about. We'll, we'll see. And they're uh, at home. That's, yeah. That is, again, you know, worth stressing. We're still on home court advantage right, right. here. Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about J.R. Smith and his push in the back of – Al Horford, who's one of your favorites. And I thought, first off, Marcus Smart, the way he handled that, I thought was outstanding. He ran up on him, got right in his face, didn't get himself ejected, but made the point where, and then JR pushes Smart. And then after the game, JR says, I wasn't trying to hurt Al. I was just making sure that he wouldn't make the shot. Normally, the, the, the protocol on that is that you would climb on his shoulders. You would, you would take his arm off, basically. But you don't push a guy in the lower back when he's defenseless in the air. It should have been a flagrant, too. I don't know how the NBA doesn't get that right. That's, that is as basic as it comes. Oh, you push somebody in the back when he's flying through the air, you're kicked out of the basketball game. That, I mean, come on. You're trying to protect players. You can't even get that right. That was pathetic. But it just, to me, it just showed perfectly how the Cavs have this frustrated guy acting out being a moron. And here the Celtics are. They come to the defense of their player, and they don't do anything stupid to get smart kicked out. Like, JR, in my mind, shouldn't be allowed to play in game three. That should be elevated to a flagrant two. And he should, I mean, I, if I was the NBA, I'd look at it like, you're suspended for game three for that. We can't have it. I, I wouldn't be, t- and I don't think that'd be completely out of the question that they do it. I don't know what would, the, J, that just shows to me how off the Cavs are. I think there are better examples of how the Cavs are. I think the fact that J.R. Smith didn't score a single point is, is a bigger concern than the push. Um, but, yeah, I mean, things aren't going well. That, that, that's the sort of the worrying part. If, if the NBA were to do that, if they were to increase that to a flagrant two, give them a ban, kick them out of game three, the Cavs are in trouble. As bad as J.R. Smith has been, if they're going to be good, they need his shooting. And on his night, he can be – a huge difference maker for the team and so you know I don't expect that to happen I would be very surprised if the NBA were to take retrospective action there but I mean yeah it's it would not be a good look but again that just speaks to the lack of depth here like when you're so dependent on a guy who is as inconsistent as J.R. Smith you're gonna have problems so let's just do the math on this let's put it all together what would it take for the Cleveland Cavaliers to win a game and then multiple games how many points do you got to get from LeBron? I, th- I think the 40-point triple-double is a solid start. Okay, so you need 40 from LeBron. You got 22 from Kevin in Game 2. How, many need, how much do you need from Kevin? I think those two guys are about right. Okay. I think the difference is the role players. So 60 combined between Kevin and LeBron. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right, how much do you need from JR? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think JR needs – I think the rest of those guys need to shoot – 35 to 40 percent from three i don't think it really matters what combination of those guys it is um but i think you know 
taken collectively. Corver, JR, George Hill, they need to shoot collectively, you know, approaching 40% from three. And how many points? I'm just trying what, to do what, what are we at? I'm, 60? I'm trying to do the math to get a Celtics to get a Cavs victory. How much how much if you're gonna get 40 from LeBron and get 20? Right, so Cavs, we're getting 60 from Love and LeBron. Yeah. All right, 45 from the other guys. 45 from the other. So it was okay, so we're at 105. Yes. And so you have to hold the Celtics under 105 to get a win. Plus, you gotta get 40 from LeBron, 20 from, from Kevin, and 40 combined from let me do the math here, from Corver, Ka- from Corver Smith, and Hill. Yeah. Right? So that, and Thompson. And Thompson. And maybe Nats. And, and maybe, maybe Rodney Hood. <laughs> I mean, they all played. They played oh, minutes. Okay. So but so you need like 12, 13 points or at least 10 points each from all of them contribute. It is a lot for Cleveland to get a win here. I'm just pointing out the, the likelihood. It's 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 not easy math to get the Cavs a win. They uh, to me, you gotta hold the Celtics to, to ninety points. I mean, yeah, I, of course, you know, defense is a relevant factor here, but are you I think we can say a similar thing about the Celtics, right? Uh, I, they had six guys in double-digit points in game two. Right, can't have it. And they can't have it. But not only can they not have it, you look at the you look at that roster and are do you really think you know you can bank on every single one of those guys, even the young guys, Rogier, Tatum, Brown? smart off the bench you think you can bank on all of those guys away from home in cleveland with lebron james doing everything he can to get them a win to get his team through you think that you can count on all of those guys more than these Cavs veterans to get into double digit points yes i i yeah i mean yes if if, if that's what you believe that's what you believe but i think that i think you're suffering a lot from recency bias basically i think you've seen the celtics in their own building feeling confident looking good and i think that it's going to be a very different atmosphere as soon as they get to cleveland and we're going to find out a lot more about this team and that doesn't mean they can't go through it doesn't mean they're not going to win the series but i think you're looking at a really terrible game for the Cavs role players and just forgetting that jr smith routinely scores 25 points this is not an uncommon thing for him same goes, I mean, Corver again, so, I was critical I, of him, but he scored 11 points He's in one quarter. All of these guys are capable of going off. I think that it's entirely possible that everything you just laid out happens. JR has a great game. Boston plays terrible. Cleveland wins a game. Maybe two. But like, you need a lot to happen for the Cavs to win. Boston's got to be bad, and, and Cleveland's got to be pretty good. I'm not convinced that's more than what Boston need to happen. My overall point is that if everything plays to its standard where it should be, on average, Boston's winning this series. That's my point. Uh, yeah, I'm just not convinced. I okay, agree. I'm not convinced. I agree with that. I like that you're. I like that you're sticking with it. I like that you're. I, I, like I mean, I made a pick. I'm not just going to. I, I like it. it. I like, like we it. know this Cavs team have wild fluctuations in performance. We also know they have the best player in the series. We also know they're going to play better, or we don't know, but it's a reasonable bet to assume that they're going to play better at home. And we also know that for the Celtics to succeed, they need a lot from a lot of people. The Cavs can sometimes get by from a great night from LeBron and a great night from two other guys. Sure. That is less but, than what the Celtics need, which is lockdown defense from about six guys, all, or not six guys, but a lot of guys rotating onto LeBron. They need big night scoring from a lot of young players who, you know, Jalen Brown is proving himself, but Rogier and Tatum have not been in these situations really before over this level of intensity. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, I really do think the series is close. I think the Celtics... If you want to call them favorites, hard to argue that. But I said six, and I'm gonna stay with six. All right, all right. Let's 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 talk about the Celtics a little deeper here. Is Brad Stevens is the question? Is Brad Stevens getting too much credit for the Celtics' success? I mean, everyone's talking about how incredible he is. His own players are talking about it, which of course they're gonna prop up their coach. But Jason Tatum, one of his quotes, it blows my mind how Stevens knows who's going to be open. I swear his play calling like out of out of timeouts works ninety-five percent of the time. 
And he's specifically talking about the play that got Al Horford open in game three against the Sixers where he, they did th- like three different switches. He knew that he was going to get Covington down there. And he, he saw the whole thing happen and then the layup that uh, ends up putting this, the Celtics ahead and they end up you know, winning the series from there. So Brad Stevens is getting a whole lot of love right now. His defense, his play calling, all of it. And... I would say that I was one of the well, I I was one of the people giving it to him. But then you look at the Celtics team and how much talent is out is out there. It's almost like Stevens is getting too much credit because people are underselling the actual players on the court. Jake Valerius, your thoughts? Yeah, I think you know this is another thing that they you know Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Gasson spoke about in commentary last night. Out. At what point do we sort of remove the young player label when we're talking about guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Uh, given what they've done so far in the playoffs, you know, the answer is now. Um, the way we evaluate players is, you know, it's so I feel like it can depend so heavily on just sort of kind of arbitrary factors. You know, for example, you compare these guys to Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell, who they didn't have the label attached to them. They were the key guys for their teams. And if they didn't perform, they were going to be criticized. Whereas in this case with this Boston team, it feels like if you know if Tatum doesn't show up one night, if Jalen Brown has an off-shooting night, we say, oh, well, Boston aren't any good. They're missing their stars. Whereas with Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, we were saying, oh, they didn't perform, not good enough. If they want to be superstars and they need to do this and that. And no, of, of course, Brad Stevens played a big role. You can't just completely divorce what players are doing and what coaches are doing. They're closely related, of course. But, you know, I think watching what they've done in this series, we can say with some degree of confidence that Boston is a good team. It doesn't matter if Kyrie's injured. It doesn't matter if Hayward's injured. They're a good team. Al Horford is, a, as we've spoken about before, a star, power forward, an all-star or great player who benefits them on both ends of the court. And he's surrounded by a lot of really good, young, talented players that are going to give you a lot on both ends of the floor. And then they literally went about sort of secretly because the Kyrie was the big deal and Hayward was the huge deal, but they've just gotten a lot of long athletic guys who can guard LeBron. Nobody, I mean, Tatum was a brilliant pick and a great trade. Semi Ojale is a guy that you can match up against LeBron. They were definitely thinking this way. Marcus Morris, who they got for Avery Bradley. Uh, you, you're, you traded out a smaller guard who was a good defender, but he was smaller. He created a lot of mismatches. You bring in a guy, hey, you can actually guard. Aaron Baines is a guy that's just a, give me a gritty, grimy power forward who can actually shoot it. Like they, they constructed this whole roster to guard LeBron. Like, people weren't talking about that. I wasn't hearing any of that, but that's what they did. In addition to adding some fire, major firepower to do it. I mean, Dan, the guy that's not getting enough credit right now, in my mind, is Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge, everything that guy is doing, he, see you later, Isaiah Thomas. You can't, you're a killer for us defensively. You can't guard. You certainly can't guard a team that's got LeBron James because there's going to be switches all over the court and you're going to get abused. We can't have it. So I, I mean, it's, one thing I'll say about Danny Age, yeah. he's done a phenomenal job. But I mean, he was handed an absolute gift by that abomination of a Brooklyn trade. I mean, that I don't know who was running the ship in Brooklyn back then, but obviously, you know, if you're a GM, well, that's your job find a find an idiot team and exploit them. Exactly. But, I mean, come on, Brooklyn, how dumb can you be? Well, right, but that's that's the whole exactly your point. When you're a GM, who do you want to deal with? You don't call up Oklahoma City and deal with Sam Presti, although that, uh, in the end, did a nice job getting Oladipo there. But you, that's, that's not a guy you want to deal with. You don't want to deal with Jerry West in his prime. Hello, Brooklyn. Hello, the Knicks when Isaiah's running this crew. I mean, that's what you want to do. Yeah. And, and Ainge is and – and, hey, Cleveland, by the way, yeah, I'll make a deal with you because you know what? You're great on the court because you got LeBron, but your front office has always been a disaster, <laughs> and I'll rip Kyrie off of you. Yeah. Are you really going to give me Kyrie Irving to go up and back against LeBron? I'll do it. And by the way, I'm sure they knew very well that the knee could be a thing. Well, we'll take the risk because we're giving you a guy who's got a bum hip. And, I mean, it's just incredible what, the, what, what Boston's done. And to Ainge's credit, and Brad's great too. I mean, Boston's great. But Ainge did hire Brad. That was a, that was a hell of a hire out of Butler. And he, and he wasn't. You know, the Celtics weren't great when he when he originally got there, and they didn't panic, and, and Brad Stevens has proved himself to be a great coach. 
Yeah, I mean, I think right now, given what is happening in San Antonio, I think we can say fairly that Boston are the best-run team in the NBA right now. Right. And that's crazy because San Antonio have set the bar extraordinarily high. But this Kawhi stuff, you know, is is a concern. The post-Duncan era, you know, we'll see how they handle it. And as long as Popovich is around, you kind of support them and Buford as well, support them to get through it. But right now, Boston are the best-run team in the NBA. Let's move on to uh, another very well-run team. That would be the Golden State Warriors. Yes, true. And uh, and the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals, which at this taping time – the Warriors have a one-game-to-none lead. And let's, uh, let's ask the same question that we just asked as far as Cleveland's path to a victory. How in the world does Houston win a game? Because I'm watching this, it's like, okay, uh, Golden State is just flat-out better. Everybody knew that they were better. If Houston had a chance in this series, they absolutely had to get game one. They didn't. And, uh, I, I mean, I think one of the paths is Chris Paul playing a ridiculous game rather than a very average one. And Harden's got to be phenomenal. And the role players got to be phenomenal. And, and they got to guard better. I mean, it's just going to take a lot for Houston to do it. So I, I think you've got them winning one game in the series. Is that right? I think I had them two. Okay. But I'm going to downgrade <laughs> that one. I, I yeah, it, it, it doesn't look good. Like you said, if they're going to win, they need everybody to go off. Harden needs to do the same thing. Paul needs to be, I think he was, what, 20-some points. He needs to be in the 30s at least. And their role players need to hit their shots. Um, Three-pointers, they need it. Uh, that's it's basically as simple as that. One thing I will say just in terms of are Houston going to win a game, I still think yes, partly because – Golden State still now have a tendency, and this isn't really a criticism, it's just a reflection of how much better than they are than everyone, but they still have a tendency. They, they start games kind of slowly, they, they, and they were down early in, in the first game as well. They start games kind of slowly. If Houston have an absurd quarter, you know, not on the level of what they did to the Timberwolves in the first round, but, you know, 35, 40 points, which they're perfectly capable of if everybody hits their shots, even against the Warriors. Golden State are like, meh, we'll just beat them the next game. Golden State still have this streak in their game where things aren't going right. They're just like, oh, whatever, we'll chill out, and then we'll win the next one. They're that confident in their dominance that they just— and I don't really like this. I'd like to see them just go all out and destroy everyone, but they they seem perfectly happy to drop a game and win the series, and that's just the way it is. Well, last year in the playoffs, what did they do, lose one game? Yeah, One. and that was in the finals. Right. But I think, but this year is different to last year. Yeah, I I see more of a last year they were super determined. You know, make up for the three one blowing the lead. You know, beat the Cavs. It was Durant's first year. It felt like he had more to prove. Now they just seem so comfortable in the fact that they're better than everyone. They don't. It doesn't seem like they feel they have anything to prove. Well. One guy that I think does at least have a little bit to prove, at least to himself, and that he's feeling like he's back in it is, is Curry, who had 18 in game one, but he's, you know, he's still coming back off the knee injury, and there's moments where you see Steve Kerr sitting with him on the bench. Hey, don't worry that you're shooting one for five from three, that everything's not falling right now. It's going to come. You're doing great things. You're setting us up. Your presence on the court is huge. So I think Steve sees that he needs a little bit of just a slight ego repair in, in the moment. And, I, and, and here's a guy, you know, two-time MVP, who's now – at least in game one of the series, he was the third best player on the court for the Warriors, or maybe the fourth. Third, third most scorer in the basketball. Clay was ridiculous, and, and Kevin's leading the way. So there is, like, I, I think there's a little bit of Steph Curry motivation right now where I would like to show that I am the same player and have a big night where I shoot huge from three and put up 30 points, which yeah. probably is coming too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't think Steph was that bad in game one. I, no, I, I think, I think okay. he was like... He, but his okay is good, right? You sure. Know, put up 18 points. It was solid shooting. Maybe not quite as good from three as usual. But, you know, he, he was a, a big part of that team, um, big part of that performance. And I I'm, like him going to the hole, too. I, I, you know, he had a couple, couple drives down the lane where he's beautiful little lefty finish. I like, I like that part of the game, yeah. part I mean, of his game when what, it comes out. What's frustrating is it's just it's so hard to know to what extent a performance like that is related to the injury, whatever lingering effects that is. And I tend to think that if a guy is on the court, we just treat them as if they're healthy. 
because you know everyone's got little bumps and bruises during during the playoffs at this late in the season but you know the way i tend to approach is look if the team clearly to play if you want to play we're going to evaluate you as if you were healthy and i think he's done enough since coming back he's had some insane you know peak steph curry games and you know if that's the subplot of Golden State's championship run, who's the best player on the team, Steph or KD? Like, that's a that's a pretty nice place to be. Yeah, and we. I mean, I think everyone knows the answer to that, and that's why Durant is there, and it's impressive that Curry was willing to cede that spot and not. Although, possibly controversial claim, the Warriors uh-huh. are a better team with KD or with Steph and without KD than they are with KD and without Steph. Yeah, people like to make that argument because he shoots from deep and opens up the court for everybody, and that he's. But I, I'm not going there. I just can't. I'm sorry, Kevin Durant's ridiculous. He's a better player <laughs> than Steph Curry. I don't care what, how you, however. Oh, you I agree with that. I just think they are better able to maximize everyone on the floor, with Steph and without Durant, than vice versa. Mm, yeah, but when it when it really comes down to it, the and the year that they lost. Uh, after being up three games to one, now Steph was hurt, and Draymond got, a kick, got kicked out of a game. There's a million factors there. But when you really absolutely have to have a basket in a tight game in the playoffs against a really good team, I want the nuclear option of Kevin Durant getting a shot over literally anyone <laughs> and and being extremely confident that's going to go in. And Steph, I mean, as great as he is, he can't do that. Um, so I, I, if Houston wins a game – they win game two because they come out and play incredible at home and the Warriors have an off night. Or the other game they win is that Golden State, you know, wins here, both here, in Houston and then they go home and they're Here's a question. Yeah. What do you think is more likely? Houston win a game, Cavs win the series. Oh, Houston winning a game. Way okay. more likely. I don't I yeah. I mean I, I think Houston I think I might lean Cavs there. Seriously. Wow, that's a, now that's a hot take. That's an official hot take. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not confident in it, but so I don't know. I like. So you're not confident that Houston's winning at all, even though you're hanging in there. Yeah, I mean, I got to stick with my pick, but, right? You know. Whatever. Okay. Uh, well, let, let's. Um, this is this is uh, it's 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 very it's very interesting when you look at Durant and and he scores 37, and can he continue to play at this level? Can Kevin Durant just, you know, he's just going to go out there every night, shoot. I'm going to angle left, Clint Capella, seven-footer, who can move his feet pretty well, played soccer growing up. going to have a hand in my face, and I'm going to hit that shot. And then I'm going to... Some of the, the degree of difficulty of some of the shots he made in game one... It's like, you're going to continue to do that? Was, I mean, it's insane. It's, it, he's the best scorer in the NBA. Yeah. There's no... I mean, it's outrageous. There's no shot, no situation in which he can't get the ball in the hoop. So we're, we're going to stick that Kevin's just going to be Kevin the rest of the way here. Maybe I, I mean, I don't see what's going to slow him down. That's the problem with his team, right? Like, you know, you, f- you find some way to maybe limit KD's impact. Oh, there's, you know, Clay Thompson shooting a wide-open three-pointer. Right. He's going to make it. Right. Oh, there's Steph Curry, you know, driving to the lane and dropping a nice floater. I mean, it's a joke. It's ludicrous. They are so far better than everyone that – I feel ashamed for everything in this series might be close. One thing to look for in the series before we move on, the officiating in game one was way off as far as what they allowed guys to do. It was like old school NBA, which I kind of actually like, but they're not going to do that going forward. Draymond Green should have been kicked out of that game by normal nowadays NBA standards. He throws an elbow into James Harden, and then he's screaming at the officials, and five minutes later, he's screaming at him again. And then he's setting a screen at half court where he gets called for a foul. He, he kind of extended his arms, kind of didn't. He's, I mean, there was a lot of conversations between him and the refs that they let go. Draymond continues that act. They're going to boot him out. And then the other guys, too, Gerald Green, Houston Rockets bench player who's can't guard anyone screaming at officials when he blatantly is fouling guys, you're going to get teed up too, man, uh, and, and maybe kicked out. So I really think the, the game is going to be officiated tighter in game two, which is to the advantage of the Rockets. Because Draymond, it's very infrequent that he can control himself. So I, I do think that could play in Houston's favor. Yeah, I mean, so, if, if that's what they're relying on, they're clutching his straws. But No doubt. I would say the thing about Draymond Green is that he's shouting all the time nonstop. 
to every you know everyone in the arena at all times. So I, I mean I don't know I'm, I don't know what the refs are seeing or whatever, but my guess is that he gets a little more leeway first because he's a great player, and second of all because he I mean, he just screams all the time. It's like what he's it's so, his thing. He's, so, he's a screamer. He's like from the KG school of. I'm furious at everyone always. So if I do this all the time, then for me to actually yeah, get it's kicked like out, you know gotta... you desensitize the officials. Right. I mean, like watch him play; he is talking nonstop. It's a it's it's a, it's a good strategy by Draymond. If I just... I like it, I find it funny. But <laughs> well, yeah, but if okay, if I'm Golden State or a Warriors fan and I'm watching him completely be out of his mind to start the game, I'm sitting there thinking, dude. You got kicked out in game five of the finals. That's still on my mind because you are in game four of the finals, suspended for game five because you you couldn't control your emotions with LeBron and it ended up costing us a championship. At what point are you ever going to learn to control yourself when things are spinning inside of you to that level? I get that he's a very emotional guy and that's how he's built and it's always going to be right there for him. But you would think as a guy matures, you're 30 seconds into the start of the series, man. Like you, you shouldn't be that wound up. It's it's bizarre to me. It, it was, and I'm sure it, it, I'm sure it drives Steve Kerr crazy too. And, and actually, that reminds me of one thing too. Steve Kerr said during a timeout in Game One that he could not play in this NBA right now. And people are looking at that. See, I told you the players are better today. They're better than the '90s and all that. Steve Kerr couldn't guard anybody in the '90s. He couldn't guard anybody now. Steve Kerr was a three-point shooter that stood in the corner that could bring the ball up and was a great teammate. He was a backup guard. He could play now. He could play then. He was just being complimentary to his players and to the other players and just saying something nice. It wasn't a real statement. Kerr, it, Kerr could be in the league now just like he was then. It's not some indictment on that the game or some big statement that the game is better now than it was then. That's ridiculous. Sounds like you've got some sort of stake in the 90s NBA being considered better than the current NBA. Yes, I, I absolutely do. <laughs> I, I believe that the 90s Bulls are the best team in the history of the league. Of course I do. But, that, but like everyone's like, see, I told you. No, he's just being... This is a guy that's respecting the players out there more than anything else. He's not making some grandiose statement in the in a one minute timeout with an interview on the court. If he was sitting there on a podcast, if he was on on the mark, and we were having some deep discussion, he's like, "Look, I'm telling you." Then it would be different. That was just a nice little Steve Kerr complimentary moment. I mean, last thing I'll say about this because this is not an argument I want to have right now, but he has said this before. He's spoken about this at length or more in depth before in press conferences about you know as time moves on as technology becomes more advanced as training becomes more sophisticated as all this stuff as you know we become more intelligent as coaches and analysts players learn more you know they learn from prior generations you know progress tends to proceed with time you know it's not like the guys are getting worse out there that whatever. that's that's all true i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that they shoot they shoot it better from distance now their players are better trained now that's that's all true but it wasn't okay <laughs> I, I, I moving on moving along to the nba draft lottery which was held last night the phoenix suns get the number one overall pick worst record in the league last year 21 wins so it's deandre aden it's luka Doncic. who should the suns take jake i would go with Doncic. uh obviously their coach is his coach for the national team which seems like an indicator that they've have some interest in him uh, more so for me, they need guys in both positions. This is a team with holes, you know, all over the place, but I would just lean to the better, the player with the higher upside. That's what the draft is for, for me. I think what Luka Doncic has done in Europe, playing against grown men, and I know DeAndre and his physical athleticism is off the charts, through the roof, and there's no reason to think he can't translate, but just in terms of the savviness of the guys he's going against, the age, the experience, all this stuff, for Luka Doncic to put up some of the numbers he has playing as, as a child, basically a 16-year-old you know, from that age, in impressive, high-quality European leagues, which are better than the NCAA, um, for, to me, that is, that's very, very impressive. Guard with huge size, great passing, great field vision, and he can shoot. Um, so to me, I, I'd go with Doncic, but it's a nice choice to have. I'll say that. Yeah, he, uh, he doubled his scoring this past season. He is the first teenager to lead the EuroLeague in player efficiency. That is incredibly impressive. I watch his highlights. You see the, the, the court vision's incredible. 
He passes off the bounce with the right hand. He passes off the bounce with the left hand. He has eyes in the back of his head. He can shoot it, as you mentioned, pull up, off a screen, all of it. He's got, he's got that down. However, when I do watch his highlights, he takes a lot of very difficult shots. So I do wonder, if you're taking tough shots in the Euro League, you're going to take even tougher shots in the NBA. So that's, my, that's one concern as far as how it'll translate to the league. Aiton is a physical freak. He's going to have a nice NBA career. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he can shoot it uh, for a big man fairly well. So you do have to like that screen roll, somebody that can actually knock down 15, 16-footer, and that will get better with time. Josh Jackson, Phoenix Suns, who was at the draft and was the lucky guy withholding the card. He just outed it last night and said, I want DeAndre Ayton. That's who I would take. Uh, and he, you know, he plays at the University of Arizona, so there are some Suns fans, I'm sure, who would love to see Ayton stay close to home, so to speak, and, and come play for Phoenix. But uh, I do agree. At the end of the day, in this NBA, I'll take Doncic, who I think has a great ability to make everybody around that Suns team better. He's going to get Josh yeah. Jackson a ton of open shots. He's going to get Devin Booker a lot of and, open and shots. And in a bad team as well, that's such a valuable thing to have a guy who can just run the show. You can give the ball and trust to make the right decisions, trust to make sure his teammates are in the right place. And a good passer can be just a really sort of infectious presence to have in the team. And as good as Aiton is, as good as any center can be, center can be in this today's NBA, having a guy who can run the show with the ball in his hands is a huge advantage. Because if you got a center, there's always going to be the question, we got to find a way to get the ball to him somehow. And that is not necessarily an easy thing so i think such a versatile big point guard like Doncic is can be is slightly more valuable than a center who can shoot yeah no he could take the ball off the board start the break run the offense yeah. i mean if i was a suns fan i'd rather watch him play way more entertaining to see a guy like that now uh he, he sort of reminds me of uh Jason Williams, white chocolate, except a lot, <laughs> except a lot bigger. And uh, I mean, he that guy underrated as far as entertaining guys to watch. Oh, history. for sure. I yeah. mean, he was incredible. People remember. I, I think the comparison that I've heard most regularly is Ben Simmons, better shooter. Um, we will see. I think that would be if he's as good as Ben Simmons. I think that's a good pick. So yeah, I mean, Simmons a little bit longer, doesn't shoot as well. Uh, I think Ben Simmons is going to get to the rim a lot more than Luka Doncic will, but we'll see. We'll see. It'll be it'll be very interesting. My, it, I mean, it's a good, it's a deep draft. Yeah, my Bulls got incredibly screwed, for lack of a better word. They 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 win the coin flip with Sacramento, so they they have the same record, so they get the six pick, and Sacramento got seven. But then Sacramento got the seven combination, and then they get bumped up to number two. So if the Bulls had lost the flip, they'd be in the top three. Instead, they get since Sacramento moves up, which means they go down a spot to seven. Good luck to John Paxson and company in finding. Hopefully, Mo Bamba will be there or Michael Porter Jr. But the Bulls have a bright future. I'm sure they do. I'm, I'm sure they do. <laughs> or not? Yeah. All right. Here, let's let's wrap up. The huge uh, news this week was that sports gambling is now going to be legal in uh, states that want to have it. So the estimates are that 32 states will make it legal. I'm guessing that it'll probably be more. Uh, it's going to be a lot. And uh, New Jersey is going to be right there. And there's a lot of states that are, are, are ready to roll here. Um, but just the bigger picture, the leagues that we talk about all the time, the NBA in particular, MLB, the NFL, they want – a 1% integrity fee. They want a cut of the money. Now, what Vegas on average makes 5% on everything that's, wager, that's wagered in a year. Last year it was $4.8 billion. The, the profits for um, the state of Nevada was $248.7 million. That's 5% of $4.8 billion. So the NBA and, and the leagues want to get 1% of that action. Okay, so here for quote-unquote an integrity fee that is the most greedy out of bounds ridiculous money grab that 
the concept that the NBA and, and the leagues are all of a sudden going to be paying more attention, more attention to keep the in, quote unquote integrity of the league alive. Well, while there's been this undercurrent underbelly of gambling that's always been going on that the league has paid attention to. Now we're going to pay attention to it more. No, you're not. No, you're not. You just know that there's this money is out there and it's legal. So you want a slice of the pie. They should just be thrilled that, you know what, I'm not going to stop watching this league game right now because I went down to the corner store and I, and I placed a bet on the Rockets to cover the whatever, or I'm going to go make a bet on the fourth quarter even though they're down 20, and I'm going to be able to do that simply legally now so there's going to be more action there's going to be more exposure people are going to come to the games because they probably will be able to bet there that's your payoff man ratings are going to go up people are going to pay more for commercials you don't get a one percent integrity fee for some bs that you're already doing now it's a complete it's disgusting that they want in on on it it's it, it lacks integrity it should be a non-integrity fee it should be a money grubbing fee I mean, you know, it's their job to make as much money for their owners as possible, right? Uh, what I will say, I mean, I agree. The integrity thing is stupid, and I, I'd be shocked if the gambling companies go for that big of a slice of the pie. However, there are things the NBA has to offer these gambling companies that would allow them to make money from the gambling. You know, they have all sorts of proprietary data, you know, player tracking data, all this sort of stuff that these companies can use to first of all make smarter bets charge them and second of all make more intelligent you know m offer a wider range of possible bets and so if the nba go to you know whatever gambling company you want to say and and offer them say hey we'll share this data with you you give us x percent of your profits that is a deal that could very well take place that's a common thing that does take place elsewhere in the world and I, you know, I would expect to see things like that because it's beneficial to both parties. The integrity fee is just silly. Right, but that's already going on too. You got a zillion Jake Valerius smart math guys out there who, look, a game gets a, the Super Bowl is established. Three seconds later, the line's already out because they've done the math on it. And how often does the line even move? It barely even moves. It's a huge yeah, move. Yeah, but there's, there's all sorts of bets that you can make that have nothing to do with those sorts of traditional bets. You know, for example, tracking data is a big thing. The NBA owns that data. You can't, I can't just go online and check out, you know, how fast LeBron was running in game two against the Celtics. I can't do that. The NBA owns that information and they share it only with particular clients that they have. You tell me some guy in some smart room can't sit there and figure out how fast he's moving on the court. He's got to, they got to. I'm have... saying the cheapest way for the gambling companies to get that information is to make a deal with the NBA. Okay. The NBA okay. hold all the cards. I don't have the technology. Like, they have special cameras. Do they need multiple, that info? Dozens. Well, it helps teams because no, it, I, it gives I, them more information. No, I understand it helps the teams, but do they really need that info to make a, a, a bet um, to establish what? I would guess that it helps them. I mean, gambling is all about information. If the more information you have, the smarter you are able to bet, the smarter you can set your lines. Gambling companies make, like you said, billions of dollars from this every year. If they make offer more intelligent lines, if they set the line at a rate that is based on actual information, they're gonna make more money. So this is really, really valuable information for them. And so they're, no, I mean, you're wrong, basically. They're not just gonna dismiss it because, you know, they're they don't feel like it and they've got some smart people. I mean, they already have, for the Super Bowl, 7,000 gazillion lines that they figured out. I don't, I mean, I don't know if they need that information. I'm not saying it wouldn't help them, but I don't know if they quote unquote need it. Regardless, that's fine. I'll give you one-tenth of 1%. There you go, that's your fee for, being there one percent these things fluctuate it's not that you know on average that okay maybe they make five percent over time but you know states can have a bad year there could be a huge bet that comes in on you know one side that maybe they don't hedge properly or whatever it is and, and you have a, you yeah, have a down right, year. But the point the reason they make a deal with the leagues is because they're going to be smarter about setting the lines and hedging deals if they have more information that's a bit that's a big deal. You know, guys who bet professional professionally, professional bettors, they're, they're data analysts. That's right. what they do. They look at these numbers and information is power in this situation. The more you have, the better you have. And the NBA own the most valuable data that we have. The NFL own the most valuable data that they have in the, in the NFL. 
And by the way, standard NFL, they're like lagging behind this whole thing. The NBA's out front here, MLB's out front. There's Roger Goodell and company. Can't figure anything out. Can't figure out what to do with the anthem protest. Can't do it out. Can't figure out what to do with nothing. There's, it's incredible that the, the, the NFL, which continually bumbles everything, is just like sitting back here. You're the game that everyone bets on the most, man. You should be deep involved in this conversation. Where are you, NFL? Oh, great. You're lagging behind. Real big surprise there. Standard Roger Goodell pro. Uh, operating procedure well you know let's give him a minute it's only just become legal we'll see oh right no out. he had no idea this was coming this i mean a- well i mean he done it was a supreme court decision believe it or not roger goodell does not sit on the supreme oh. court of the united states yeah, but oh. i was not privy to, to their legal discussions yeah, but, based on which they made this decision right, but the NBA, so that is you know factually incorrect right, but, but the nba is out there already ready to make a deal the nfl's like uh, i'm not exactly sure what this I'm, it's 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 indicative of how, they, how that uh, league is run. I mean, I think you're fudging some, uh, really. some information here, but whatever. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, I I expect we're going to see some sort of deals between leagues and gambling companies at some point down the line. Are you going to go out and gamble? Nah. I mean, well, I coming from England where betting is just legal and it happens everywhere. You know, yeah. there are commercials in between in halftime saying bet on who's going to have the first throw in in the second half and they'll give you odds like that that's everywhere and i didn't gamble and it just has no impact on me really i'm not really interested in gambling and it's not something i'm going to do so everyone thinks this is, thinks it's going to be this huge enormous windfall I, i'm a little skeptical on that if you're going to if every single state or close to it is going to have it you're just diluting the pot right and, and well i mean it's, if if you're a state where it's currently illegal even a diluted pot is an increase. Sure, on what you're sure, getting, but right? I, but I, but like, how much of a real windfall is it going to be for? Yeah, I mean, I'd have no idea. Right, but I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting. I mean, there's a reason it's such a huge industry is because it makes people money, and states obviously have you know a lot of regulatory power, and they're going to make decisions on based on what they think is best for them. But I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see just the dominoes fall, the business implications, the financial implications. Uh, that we see here because when if people make if, if states make money quickly they're going to double down triple down they're going to do everything they can to rinse that for what it's worth different time different things are happening all right good to be with you today appreciate you guys checking out on the mark with you every wednesday and uh we'll see how these western conference eastern conference panels uh, shake out we'll see you next week This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Save big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big money at Menards.